Well, good morning. I am going to start off with a question, and I will give you an answer in just a minute. But the question that I have this morning for you is, what do the Righteous Brothers, John Mayer, and Jars of Clay all have in common? Do you want the answer? The answer is this, that they are all music bands, and they have a song about love, and they will be the theme for today's sermon. This morning, we're going to be taking a look at the book of Malachi, but we're also going to be talking about the Advent aspect of agape love. We're going to be recognizing the deep love that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so with that, what I'd like to do is I'd like to start off with the following question. How many of you have seen the movie Top Gun? How many of you have seen the movie Top Gun Maverick? Then if you have seen the movie Top Gun or the movie Top Gun Maverick, you will be able to understand this following point. The first aspect that I'm going to talk about really comes from the beginning of Malachi, chapters 1 through 3. And that is simply this. When we talk about love, we are going to remember and recognize the righteous brothers. So the first point is this. You've lost that loving feeling. How many of you are familiar with those words? We're going to sing it this morning. We've got the words up there if you're not familiar with it. We're all going to get in tone. I'm going to ask that you sing louder than I do because I can't sing very well. But to get us excited about today's message on love, we're going to see why, in a moment, people of God had lost that loving feeling. So are we ready? All right? Follow along. You've lost that loving feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, but um, but um, but um, dum, dum, but um, but um, dum, dum. Okay. Now, some of you wants to go on and be like, baby, baby. All right, but that's not the point of today's message, right? So why are we talking about this? Well, this is a fun way, but a very serious way to help us understand where we've been in the book of Malachi. And it is simply this, that the people of God had lost that loving feeling, as we've seen with the Righteous Brothers. The whole aspect that we've been talking about over the last several weeks deals with the aspect of love. And what we're seeing is the prophet Malachi comes forward to the people of God in and around 460 B.C. with a message that is essentially an oracle or a burden of God. And the burden of God is simply this. People, you've lost that loving feeling. You no longer love me in the manner that I've asked of you. And so to review... We started off several weeks ago, but it is essentially the core or the theme of what we've been speaking to in the book of Malachi. And right in the beginning, in Malachi uh, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk about that just for a minute to help us to reflect and look at the importance of what we see and discover in the unconditional, irrevocable, undeniable love of God that we celebrate at 
Christmas. We just lit the second candle of Advent, and that's what we celebrate today, is the love of God. But what we have to remember is these people were looking at external circumstances. They were looking at what they wanted. They were looking at what they thought they should have. They weren't understanding and realizing what they had and had been given in the Lord at that time. And so we travel through the whole book, and what we discover is that essentially what God is saying is, look, I have loved you. I have loved you time and time and time again. We go through the entirety of the Old Testament, and it is continually a demonstration of God's love for his people. But the people of God look and they say, I don't think so. We're not pleased with what's going on because we're looking around and we're looking at other individuals who don't know you and they are prospering way more than we are. Does that sound familiar sometimes in our world today? Might we look around at other individuals who don't know Jesus and their life is going perfectly well? Maybe they're getting everything that they want Maybe things for them are going amazingly well and you're sitting there and you're saying, gosh, I'm sitting here worshiping Jesus, doing the best that I can, but the life that I'm living is very challenging. It's filled with difficulty or it's filled with strife or disappointment or whatever it might be. And at times, that can cause us to begin to question the love of God. It can begin to question us or cause us to question God's purpose in our lives. And so we go through essentially the first several chapters and we realize that God comes forward to the people and he says, look, here's what I'm seeing from you. You are no longer worshiping me with your tithes and your offerings. Your heart for me is displaced. You're bringing blemished sacrifices to the altar. We've talked about that before. And essentially, the whole gist there is God is saying, bring the best because I've given you my best. Bring to me what it is that I ask of you because I have given my best to you. We then discover also that the next way that people are essentially not loving God is the individuals in the community are looking and they are essentially trading up in marriage for what I would call a newer model. They are essentially moving away from what's commanded in Scripture. They're breaking the law by divorcing their wives, but then they're also breaking the law by remarrying foreign women. Now, real quick on that, I want to say again that the aspect there is not for racial purity. It is, again, at that time to bring about the people of God. And the concern was that as these individuals married foreign wives, they would bring their foreign culture in and it would draw them further away from God and God's love. And so we get to this point where we then begin to discover that the people of God are saying you haven't loved us, but the reason that they're not experiencing the love of God is because they're not expressing their love to God. And one of the things that I would say in that is this. Oftentimes you might think that God would say, you know what, that's it. I'm done. I've tried. I've done everything I can to demonstrate my love to you. What more do you want of me? Now the other thing too that I would want to say is this. How much of our lives are based on a conditional aspect of love? I will love you if, or I will love you when. 
But if or when doesn't occur, my love will be withheld, my love will be restrained, I may not act in love. And so, so much of our lives is based upon this conditional aspect of that idea of love. However, what we're going to discover is God's continual love for us is way deeper, way further, and way bigger than we can possibly imagine. What we've seen essentially in Malachi chapter 1 through 3 is God's demonstration and calling of his love to the people of God, but also going to them and saying, look, if you don't get your act together, there are going to be problems. But what we come to find in the last verses of this prophecy is God's love for us. And so while the people of God had lost their loving feeling, what we then discover, particularly in Malachi 4, verses 1 through 6, is the following song, that love is a verb. Now, how many of you are familiar with John Mayer? Is anybody familiar with John Mayer? A couple people nodding their head. John Mayer sings a song essentially saying that love is an action. Love is a verb. Now, we're not going to sing this because I don't have John Mayer's voice. But the lyrics to this song are simply this. You got to show, show, show me. Show, show, show me. Show, show, show me that love is a verb. Love ain't a thing. It is a verb. It comes in action. And so let's take a moment and let's look at this. If you would do me a favor, turn with me in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And what we see here is the day of the Lord. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will uh, be left of them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing on its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my uh, servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I'll send you a prophet, Elijah, before the great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. This is what God is promising. This is what God is saying to the people of God during this prophecy. And he is saying, essentially, there is going to be a day when I will strike down all of the unrighteous and I will lift up all of the righteous. It's a referent to God's second coming. It is a referent to what we talked about last week, to what Keith discussed in the text of Isaiah, the hope that we have in God in the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And what we have to recognize is that despite the fact that the people of God no longer love God, God continues to love them unconditionally. Because what we see, and I'm going to unpack this in Malachi, but then I'm also going to demonstrate essentially how we get to the second coming. 
that it is because of the unconditional love of God through our Savior Jesus Christ that we have hope at all. And so this morning, I want to take a minute, I want to just talk a little bit about Malachi, and then I'm going to move into a couple of other passages as we speak to the theme of love in Advent. We look, and one of the things that I want to show you in Malachi is this. How many of us right now struggle with some of the unrighteousness that we see in the world? See a lot of hands going up? See a lot of people kind of wondering and what's going on? Sometimes we wonder about where God is and who he is and where the promises might come from. But what we need to remember and recognize is that way back, even 460 years prior to the birth of Christ, Malachi is coming forward and he is saying, look, God is bringing a message. And the message that God has is that you have lost your love for him. But I am going to tell you that love is a verb. God is going to continue to act. God is not going to leave you or forsake you. And what I'm going to tell you, says Malachi, is a day is coming and it will burn like a furnace, speaking to the second coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. What we all wait in anticipation for, what we all hope for in Jesus. And the arrogant will be an evildoer. There will be a stubble on that day and a day is coming to set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. There will be a day of justice. There will be a day of reconciliation. We also know, too, this. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but you who revere, you who are in Christ, you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, will what? See the Son of Righteousness rise with healing on His wings, and you will go forth and leap life calves released from the stall. How many of you have ever seen a baby calf released out of a stall? Okay, let's just, let's just take this for a minute. What do, you, what do you think when that calf goes out of that stall? Does it, does it just kind of walk out nonchalantly? It's pretty happy, isn't it? Yeah, it's filled with joy. It's happy, it's leaping, it's recognizing that it's been free. And so in an analogous form, what is happening here is Malachi is telling the people of God that there is a day coming, the second coming of our Savior, where you will see the Son of Righteousness come, and you, like calves, will be released from the stall, leaping for joy. And then we continue, and we see the statement, then you will trample down the wicked, there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. So we must remember and recognize that there is going to be a day of reconciliation. There is going to be a day of justice. And then what we see, it says, remember. So for now, for now, remember the law of my servant Moses and the decrees and the laws I gave to him at Horeb or Mount Sinai in Israel. It's the whole point that Malachi is making. He is saying, look, you have been asked to do certain things. You have been asked to follow certain regulations by God, and you have chosen not to do so. Even though you've chosen not to do so, and you question that 
the, the love that I have for you, and you've lost your loving feeling for me, I'm going to continue loving you. But until that day comes, I'm going to ask you to remember my decrees. And then it says, on that day, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of his fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. So let's ponder the day of the Lord. Let's look forward to the day of the Lord. Because, no, we are not the people of God in Malachi's time. We have seen the coming of our Savior. We recognize the birth, the death, the resurrection, and the joy of our salvation in Jesus. But we, too, like all of them, await the second coming and the culmination of Christ, don't we? And so in that, what I want to ask you is this. How do we get there? How do we get to the second coming of Jesus? And that is where we see the true love of God displayed. That's what we're speaking about today. And in that, what I want to show you in John 3.16 is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's a very common verse. It's probably memorized by many of us. But what we must remember and recognize is the action that has been taken by God to allow us to have the salvation that we do. I want to take a minute and I want to show you right here where it says, For God so loved the world. That is in the aorist passive tense. It is final, it is complete, and it is whole. But also what we have to see is this, that the word loved there is what we talked about earlier this morning, and that is agape. Agape love is the unconditional, irrevocable, undeniable love of God. Now think about that for a minute. We talk about love, we speak to love in so many different ways. But oftentimes what we do is we place a conditional factor on it, don't we? I will love you if, or I will love you when. But what we see here in this is for God so unconditionally, undeniably, irrevocably loved the world that he gave action, his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I've spoken earlier in a series of Malachi that we should give God our best because he has given us his best. And this is the statement that culminates all of that. The love of God, the unconditional love, has given us his one and only son in an act of unconditional love so that purpose, we might have eternal life. That is a great love that we celebrate today. That is a great love that we should cherish and recognize and have joy in as we walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so not only have we seen in this that the people of God had lost that loving feeling, 
But we see that God continues to act in love and that love is a verb. But then we also see another thing. We also see, as stated in Jars of Clay, that love came down at Christmas. The statement, and notice I've put it in caps, love came down at Christmas. Love, a lovely love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Stars and angels gave the sign. Now I'm going to throw this out to you. What's different about the manner of expression in the word love there? Is it a verb? No. It's a noun. And so what we see here is this. That love is a noun. Love is the person of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate today. That's what we recognize. We realize that despite our love for God, his unconditional love for us gives us the ultimate expression of his love, which is our Savior Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, when we look to Christmas and we look at the birth of our Savior Jesus, we must remember and recognize the purpose of what God is doing. He is giving us his one and only son out of a unconditional expression of love with what? The ultimate expression of love, the person of Christ. And so what I want to show you in 1 John 4, 7 through 10 is this. It says, dear friends, let us love one another. Okay? Now, as we travel through this verse, recognize that each word love is agape. But also, I've put it in capitals for you to help you see that when those capitals are there, that is a noun. It isn't a verb. And that noun is the expression of the person of Jesus. So let's take a moment and let's walk through this. Dear friends, let us one, love one another. Action. For love comes from God. Noun. Well, what love? Person, place, or thing, right? Well, it's not a place. Could be a thing, right? But what we discover in a moment as we read on is it is a person. And that person is Jesus Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. There it is, right there. God is love. Noun. Person. Interestingly enough, it's not stated that love is God. The statement is, God is love. Why is that important? Brothers and sisters, what I want to tell you is if we want to experience the unconditional, irrevocable, undeniable love of God and be able to express the unconditional, irrevocable, undeniable love of God, the only way we can do it is through Jesus Christ because he is love. He is agape. And that's what we see today. That's what we recognize. God is love. 
This is how God showed his love person now among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now let's take a moment, let's focus on that statement. If he sent his one and only son into the world, number one, he's given us his best. But the purpose behind that is so that we might live. Well, if we might live, what does it mean? We were dead. We were dead in our sins. So when I think about this, I see the action of God unconditionally with agape love. But then I see the noun of God, our Savior Jesus Christ, who is the only expression because God is love. God is the unconditional, irrevocable, undeniable love that we have in Jesus. It continues on, and it says, this is love. Notice it's not a verb. It's a noun. This is love. And so what I want to do for a minute is I want to show you something. This, the person of Christ on the cross, noun is love, culminating with the action of Christ's death on the cross, which is the action or verb of love. And so two things that I want to share with you this morning. When we speak of Christ, when we talk about Christ's death on the cross, when we talk about God's great love for us, yes, it is an action. Yes, it is an expression. But also know this, it is the person. It is the noun. It is the agape, our Savior, Jesus. And we continue, and it says, this is love, not that we loved. Notice that. Okay? It goes from noun to verb. Not that we loved. Not that we loved unconditionally, irrevocably, undeniably. But he loved verb, action, unconditionally, irrevocably, undeniably, us. And what did he do? How did he express that love through action? Well, because God is love, he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the ultimate expression that we have through Jesus. And so I want to take a minute, and I want you to contemplate that for a second. Brothers and sisters, we rejoice in the unconditional, undeniable, irrevocable love of God that was acted on Christ coming through his birth, through his life, through his death on the cross, and through his resurrection from the grave. But also we need to recognize that the person of Jesus is love. And why is it important? Well, I want to take a minute 
And I want to go through, essentially, the take-home truth, and then I'm going to wrap this sort of around to help us see how love is expressed. What we see, essentially, in this is that while love is a verb and comes through action, love is a noun. Love comes in the person of Christ. And let me tell you that the expression of love, the agape love, is what comes. And the only one who can do so is our Savior Jesus. What does that mean? Well, let's take a minute and let's look back at Malachi. We look back at how God loved his people. God says, I have loved you, action. And he continues to express his love to his people. And then interestingly enough, what we see at the end of Malachi is again the verses that we just went over. That there is a day coming when things will be set anew. When the son of righteousness will come. When those who are wicked will be put in their place. And when those who are righteous will be lifted up. But we have to remember and recognize how do we get there? How do we get essentially from 460, 450 BC to the second coming? And that is what we see through Jesus Christ. Let's take a minute and let's look at at this for a minute. What we see essentially in this is that while love is a verb and comes through action, love is a noun, and love comes in the person of Christ, But more important, God manifests his love through one concrete act. And the act is the gift of Christ as a substitute for our sin. He acts unconditionally, giving the ultimate expression of love, which is the person of Jesus. So 450 years ago, people were given a promise. That a savior would come. We take that, and now we realize that we are, what, 2,000 years from the Savior coming and his death. And so I want to take a minute. I want you to follow this for a minute. Let's hear the expression, the joy of the coming of Jesus and the people of God. They're hearing, they're excited, they can't wait for Christ to come. And I want to throw something out to you. How, what's the longest that any of you have had to wait for anything? What's the longest that any of you have ever had to wait for something? Okay? Probably your whole life, right? Now, in that, let's take a moment and let's think through this. How long is the average lifespan? 75 years, maybe if we're generous, 80. Some of us might live till we're 90. Maybe we're really healthy, we might live to 105 or 110. But have any of us ever had had to live or wait for something for 450 years? We're not used to waiting, are we? Can I ask you a question? Would we tend to forget? Would we tend to wonder? Would we tend to think, well, gosh, this isn't going to happen? You know, this prophet Malachi came along and he said that the day of the Lord is coming, something's going to happen, but it's been 450 years. Let me just put some context into that. How long has America been a nation? 
we're coming up close to our what? Tricentennial. We still have 150 years to go. And sometimes we wonder about the love of God. We wonder about his expression. And then all of a sudden, what do we see? We see the ultimate expression of God's love born of Christ in a manger that we celebrate at Christmas. We realize that when we look at the face of that babe, we see God is love. We realize that the noun will become and is the action, the verb. That love will go and love us on the cross, even though we don't love him. And so let's take a minute and let's think about this. Time comes and time goes. The people of God wonder, they question, they doubt. 450 years goes by and the love and the hope that was there begins to dwindle. Christ comes, he lives, he teaches, and he dies. But he says, I will go and prepare a place for you. And then he's gone. And we wait. And we wait. And we wait. We wait close to 2,000 years, don't we? And we wonder, is this true? Is this real? And in many ways, we can begin to lose hope. But what we discovered last week, as Keith said, is that hope is on repeat. We don't lose hope because we have hope in Jesus. But the reason that we have hope is because of the love of God. Because God is love. Let's take a minute, let's pray. Father, uh, we do come before you. We just thank you for this. We thank you for the expression of your love. We thank you for the fact that you do come as the ultimate form of it. Father, help us to realize that there is no greater manner of love, no greater individual who can bring about a greater love because you are love. And Father, in that, I pray that that would continue to bring us hope. Father, with it, I pray too, just as we look back to the text of Malachi, that we would begin to look and examine our own heart. Father, we would look and we would begin to ask, Lord, am I not loving you as I really should? Father, thank you that in that, that you care, that you are concerned, that you desire a continued relationship with us. But Lord, I also pray that as we look to you, as we look to your promise and how you continue to love your people, that that would drive our hearts toward a deeper relationship with you. That we would want to express you 
to others. That in it, Lord, that we wouldn't give you our leftovers, but rather we would give you our best, realizing that you have given us your best through the person of Jesus, who is the ultimate expression of love, because God is love. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children say,